You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this, our May episode, episode number 46 of Socialist News and Views. In the second half, we hear a Farrell Dobbs speech called End Capitalism to Stop War from 1948. But first, we start with news. A note, we have a lot of audio that was captured at live public events in today's episode, so I'll say ahead of time, it is not studio quality and includes some microphone level mismatch, distortion, and wind noise. Chaos from Warsami campaign causes Ward 10 convention to break down is the title of an article on Southwest Voices from May 15th by Melody Hoffman, which reads, in the subheading, quote, a routine convention held to endorse a city council candidate erupted into physical assaults, shouting, and people storming the stage during convention proceedings, end quote. The article says the proceedings were tense throughout, but that the situation peaked just before Shugtai and Warsami were about to take turns addressing the convention, quote, Supporters from Warsami's campaign stormed the stage and disrupted the proceedings, causing the convention to adjourn before either candidate could be endorsed. These moments were captured on video. Representatives of Warsami's campaign can be seen physically confronting members of the Chugtai campaign as Warsami looks on in the background, end quote. After the convention, Warsami issued a statement of regret and called the situation, quote, unexpected. Shugtai's statement, on the other hand, read in part, quote, during the Ward 10 convention, the Nasri Warsami campaign continually made people feel unsafe. They intimidated delegates and alternates, harassed and threatened DFL volunteers, and assaulted me and my supporters, end quote. Should be noted that Warsami, according to his own Twitter bio, is a, quote, community service officer and police academy trainee, end quote. Latest arrests of top city protesters, Feel Like Overreach, Experts Say, is the title of an article on The Guardian from May 13th by Timothy Pratt in Atlanta. It quotes the ACLU of Georgia as saying, quote, it raises serious First Amendment concerns. It is also part of a broader pattern of the state of Georgia weaponizing the criminal code to unconditionally protect law enforcement and to silence speech critical of the government, end quote. Ken Paulson, director of the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University, called the charges which essentially amount to using a little-known Georgia law that makes it a felony to intimidate a law enforcement officer, quote, stunning, the article says. This is because the charges are in relation to the distribution of a printed flyer in which one of the officers involved in the murder of forced offender Tortuguita is named. Part of the flyer reads, quote, a murderer lives in our neighborhood, end quote. The three arrested were placed in solitary confinement for four days following the arrest, According to other sources, they were also being held without bond. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has an article, unfortunately behind a paywall, 
by Riley Bunch, May 16th, entitled City Council Introduces Proposal for $30 Million Contribution to Training Center. The article says hundreds of people opposed to the center came to Atlanta City Hall on May 15th to speak in opposition, saying, quote, speakers wrapped around the building, downstairs, and through the public entryway, while more filed through security, end quote. And, quote, nearly 300 people signed up to speak to council members on Monday and lasted more than seven hours from around 2.15 p.m. in the afternoon until around 9.30 p.m. at night. Every speaker testified against the training center, end quote. And now we go to a selection of just four of those two-minute comments to the Atlanta City Council opposing Cop City. Here they are. Next will be Adrian Lodice. You have two minutes. It's Lodice. Um, but my name is Adrian Aurelia Lodice, but I go by Leah. For over a year, I work closely with both fire and police serving DeKalb County and responding to residents' emergency calls as an EMT for DeKalb AMR. I worked there until this past fall. With that background in mind, I have two questions about the development of this training facility. One, where did y'all find $33 million of taxpayer dollars for this militarized police project? Because if y'all want to talk about public workers, then it's me. And if you want to talk about me, then let's talk about my patients. I've had DeKalb County patients with fractured skulls begging for fewer potholes as we rush them to the hospital, yet hear nothing about improving our roads, especially in the southeast. I've had patients' life-saving equipment malfunction due to the old electricity lines failing during a storm, yet hear nothing about the new electrical lines. And if my point wasn't clear enough, LaShawn Thompson was eaten alive by bedbugs while incarcerated one county over. So this city doesn't have the funding to make our current, existing justice system at the minimum survivable, yet you do have $33 million to give police a shiny new toy. Two. With the AMC hospital shutting down and the previously listed issues with DeKalb infrastructure, don't you think that there are better things to do with $33 million of taxpayer money? I expected nothing else from capitalists to bribe the influence of council in favor of fascist alliances between these mega corporations and police, but it's particularly disgusting when you realize that they could have raised that $60 million for literally anything else. And I'm going to call it what it is. It's fascism. That's what you guys are a part of. Better roads. Better roads, better electricity, more affordable health care, but hospitals, better roads or electricity wouldn't abuse citizens in the interest of capital, would they? So instead you blow $90 million building a cop city over a clear-cut forest. Who wants a public park, better infrastructure, or hell, freedom in America, when instead cops can get a whole city to practice urban warfare instead? People over profits always and stop cop city. Thank you. Thank you. Next will be Victoria Register. You have two minutes. Hi. My name is Victoria Register, and I'm currently a nursing student. I'm becoming a nurse to not only help save lives, but also to advocate for them, which is why I'm here. I would like to echo the statements of those before me, citing the negative impacts Cop City would have. These include the devastating environmental damage resulting from the deforestation that would occur to build Cop City, as well as the increase in racist police presence. We know that an increase in police presence would not result in public safety. Rather, it would create more opportunity for violence and oppression against citizens. Recently, one of the people arrested for passing out flyers about the police murder of a Stop Cop City protester was denied bail for passing out the flyers. Acts of intimidation and oppression such as this are unacceptable and are violations of First Amendment rights. We know this will only increase if Cop City is built. I work in healthcare, and I worked in healthcare all throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. I've seen how Atlantans need better public services, specifically healthcare. With the Atlanta Medical Center recently closing, Greater Memorial Hospital is now the only level one trauma center in Metro Atlanta. This means there's only one trauma center in Metro Atlanta equipped to deal with the most critical level of trauma cases. 
Grady was already overcrowded and under-resourced, but now it's increased dramatically. People are stuck in waiting rooms for fatal amounts of time, and they are not able to receive the medical care that they need because resources are simply not there, especially with the recent unwinding of Medicaid. People are flooding to Grady because proper mental health and housing resources are not available. Where is the funding for these? People are dying from preventable diseases and illnesses, and this could be remedied if there is appropriate funding for necessary areas. Instead of funding and protecting the widely opposed Cobb City, I implore you to truly fund and protect the health of the community by investing in wanted and necessary public services such as healthcare. Thank you. Thank you. Next will be Ariana Brazier. I'm Dr. Ariana Brazier, a resident of the city of Atlanta, District 11. My doctoral dissertation was about the ways Atlanta's black families play under housing insecure conditions. My research took place in the Thomasville Heights area and was originally inspired by my experiences at the Peachtree and Pine Shelter. The closure of Peachtree Pine, succeeded by minimal growth in shelter capacity, has left unhoused and housing insecure Atlanta residents with no recourse. In 2022, the Atlanta Police Department was allotted a full third of the city's $700 million budget. In the same year, Mayor Andre Dickens announced a proposal to invest an additional $6.2 million, which only totaled a mere $25 million toward alleviating homelessness in his city. Comparatively, Cop City is seeking $33.5 million of city funding. The same budget cycle, the city only had 29 affordable rental units for every 100 extremely low-income families. In the same year, there were more than 24,000 applicants on the Atlanta Housing Authority waitlist. If we are truly committed to ending the cycles that propagate homelessness, and I need my city council representative to be listening, District 11, if we are truly committed to ending the cycles that propagate homelessness, Cop City can never be built. We must defund the police and invest in quality housing. And you, as city officials, must be accountable to the evidence of our lived experiences and the expressed needs of your people. Thank you. Next will be Andres Derudi. Hello, my name is Andres, and these are excerpts from my journal four days after the violent police raid on the music festival on March 5th. I am so overwhelmed. I can feel myself disconnected from my body. I feel it as if I'm in a dense fog. I feel confused. I find it difficult to think and imagine ahead. I cannot imagine what tomorrow looks like, even though there is an awareness of what tomorrow brings, do I know tomorrow is guaranteed. What happened to me that day was the scariest moment of my life. I confused tear gas shots for gunshots. I thought a childhood friend was being shot at. I saw somebody being put in a chokehold and I saw and I heard so many screams including my own. This is what real terrorism looks like and it wasn't done by forest defenders, it was done by state and local law enforcement and the politicians that carry the water for state sponsored terrorism. Need I remind you, Cop City hasn't even been built yet. This project is dragging us to fascism, where the state uses terror to subdue movements, in music festivals, in neighborhoods where people are firing, in a tent in Wilani Forest. 
Imagine the repression once this monstrosity is built. This $33 million package is a lifeline to the fascist project called Cop City. The madness we are living in must cease. This package cannot be passed. If it is, this will cement all of y'all's, all of y'all's legacy as fascist collaborators. So join the movement for popular democracy, for abolition, for ecology, for justice. Stop Cop City. Stop clearing the forest. Justicia para Tortuguita. Free every political prisoner. Free the land. Land back. Black lives matter. Indigenous lives matter. Immigrant lives matter. Abolish the APD. Power to the people. All the people. And as alluded to in those comments, there's an extreme affordability crisis for working people. World Socialist website, May 16th, has an article entitled Inflation Drives U.S. Household Debt to Record $17 trillion by Patrick Martin. It says this is the first time in U.S. history household debt levels have been this high, according to a Fed Reserve report. It continues, quote, the report puts the lie to the claims of the Biden administration echoed by the corporate media that the U.S. economy is sound, inflation is coming down, and the recent bank failures in California and New York are only a blip on the screen not an indication of deeper problems. The reality is that tens of millions are living on the edge, one unexpected expense away from disaster, end quote. And now we go to a break with spoken word by Brandon Lee Tollock, which was recorded at the May Day International Workers' Day rally in March. On May 1st in Minneapolis, the march was initiated by Minnesota Immigrant Rights Action Committee, MIRAC. This spoken word piece is called The Dance and includes singing of Bob Marley's They Belly Full But We Hungry. Here it is. Can you make some noise if you can hear me? Yeah. All right, I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, I'm going to do a piece of spoken word for you guys. And that piece is actually set to a song um, written by Bob Marley. I'm going to sing a little bit of it. I have some music prepared, but just, I don't take too much time, so I'm just going to sing it. It don't sound great. The song, the song is all about class solidarity. It's all about living in the system of capitalism, which is killing and oppressing and holding us all down. And we are all just stuck in this dance. We are all stuck in this dance of the world that capitalism is holding over us. So this piece, I'm going to sing the song, then when I start speaking, the title of the song by Bob Marley and the Wailers is titled Them Belly Fool, But We Hungry. Sickness and this. 
Forget your weakness and days. Look past the man who stands outside the store. You say it's their fault that they're sleeping on the floor. You tell your children that it's a choice to be poor, then you go inside and realize you can't afford your groceries anymore. See, you're one paycheck away from a notice of eviction. You're picking up extra shifts to help pay for your prescription. You're pinching pennies to afford your coffee and alcohol addiction. You're this close to losing the only pot you got to piss in when you're drunk. So you get your food and all your money spent out. There's none left so you can't afford to pay your rent out. So you need to realize you're closer to living in a tent now than you are to ever living in a penthouse. The billionaires are the ones who plant the seeds of your behavior. That all broke down rich later mindset, it will never be your savior. They taught you that your enemy is your neighbor, all while stealing the sweetest fruits of your labor. See, now you can't even eat at the tables that you set. You have to hit a jackpot to get yourself out of debt. And just when you think you're as low as the bottom can get, the goal to your GoFundMe doesn't get met. So what you gonna do now? So you thought that you were too good, like it was the way that it could be you. But now you're standing in front of the same store as the man you pretended was seafood. Hoping that somebody helped you when they see you. But no, it ain't no handouts, and no, it ain't no redos. See, don't matter how much you beg, or plead, or pray, asking for just one more chance. The only thing you can do now is forget your troubles and dance. Forget your sorrows and dance. Forget your sickness and Forget your weakness and days. for us be hungry. A hungry mouth is an angry mouth. Or in the form of a perfect tongue. A pot to cook, but the food not left. A rain of gold. A pot to cook. A hungry an angry man, a hungry mob is an angry mob. And the more that they continue to hold us down, the more that these elites continue to grow their wealth off of the backs of our exploitation, the angrier we will become, the more organized we will become, and the sooner the revolution will come. And now we go to a speech. By Farrell Dobbs, known for participation in the 1934 Minneapolis Teamster Strike, he wrote Teamster Rebellion, along with three other volumes of histories and memoirs of that struggle. He met Leon Trotsky in 1940 in Mexico, shortly before Trotsky's murder. Dobbs was also jailed from 1944 to 1945 under the Smith Act for opposing World War II. In 1960, Dobbs came out in full support of the Cuban Revolution. Here is End Capitalism to Stop War by Farrell Dobbs from 1948, read by Barry Schillingford. End Capitalism to Stop War by Farrell Dobbs. This was delivered as a national broadcast on the 24th of May 1948 when he was the Socialist Workers Party presidential nominee. To put it in context, this was two years before the start of the Korean War and also I believe he's referring to the Selective Service Act of 1948. Less than three years after the termination of the Second World War, we are threatened with the imminent outbreak of another war. Within the lifetime of one generation, we've gone through a vicious cycle of war, then depression, then another war, then the present inflation, 
and the frenzied preparation for a third world war. This is the cycle of capitalism. War, depression, inflation, and again war. The capitalist masters of America and their political tools at Washington are deliberately plotting and preparing to drag the American people into another war. Capitalist production for profits cannot be reconciled with peace and prosperity for the people. Hardly two years after converting industry to peacetime production, the home market is already saturated. The workers can buy back only a small portion of what they produce, and the ruinous inflation, combined with a refusal to grant even a cost-of-living wage increase, only aggravates the contradiction. The countries of Europe and Asia ruined by the war are unable to buy the surplus American goods. The ruling capitalists see no way of postponing the threatened depression, which will be far deeper and more devastating than that of the third is, than by shifting to an armaments economy in preparation for an actual war. In their minds, peace is identified with the demands of organized workers for a larger share of the products of their toil for a greater degree of security. Peace is identified in the minds of the profit mongers with the nationwide strikes of the miners, railroad, packing house, auto and steel workers. They want to make an end of that. They want to break up the unions and free themselves from the necessity of dealing with organized workers. The war which they are plotting and preparing is directed against the American people as well as against the rank and file of humanity throughout the world. The drive against the unions was spearheaded by the passage of the anti-union Taft-Hartley law, whose provisions are now being used to smash strikes with injunctions and police terror. The Steel Trust, giving the lead to the major corporations, has refused to disgorge a single penny of its fabulous profits for wage increases to meet the increased cost of living of workers in the mills. The Chrysler Corporation, wallowing in excess profits, has forced its workers to strike for modest cost of living increases. The packing house workers have been battling injunctions and police terror on the picket lines for more than two months. With all my heart, I greet the heroic auto and packing house strikers who are fighting the battle of all workers today. The preparations for war coincide with preparations for military dictatorship at home. The major posts in the cabinet and the chief positions in important government agencies are occupied by the brass hats of the army and the navy or the overlords of industry and finance. Under the direction and inspiration of this notorious Wall Street brass hat combination, democratic rights and civil liberties are under constant attack. A bill to militarize the youth is being rushed towards passage. Government employees are subjected to Gestapo-like inquisitions. Congress itself is a scene of wild orgies of officially organized witch hunting. Foreign-born trade union leaders are picked up every day and held for deportation. The notorious Munt Bill, now in preparation, would make all opposition to the military dictatorship a crime punishable by long prison sentences, by deportation and concentration camps. The monopolists are determined to take all the colossal costs of the war out of the hides of the American workers. Business Week, an authoritative Wall Street magazine, brutally admits to this purpose in its issue of April 24th. I quote, Living standards would have to go down, not up. We couldn't fight another war without dictating to everyone where to work, what to do, and what to get paid for it. All the candy has been passed out now. This time there would be nothing left but the whip. So speaks Business Week, an authentic voice of the monopoly capitalists who are the cheap enemies of the American people. This is the outspoken program of military dictatorship, the iron heel of the capitalist oligarchy stamping out the lives, the hopes, and the liberties of the masses of American people. The military dictatorship is the inexorable product of a system which is driven inevitably 
by the iron laws of its own contradictions and of its insoluble crisis from one global war to another. The conclusion follows with the same inexorable logic. There can be no effective struggle to defend the unions, to protect and improve the living standards of the workers, to safeguard and extend the rights and liberties of the American people, unless it is directed against the capitalist oligarchy and its agents in the bipartisan coalition which rules in Washington. There can be no effective struggle against war unless it is directed towards the elimination of the war-breeding capitalist system, towards the destruction of the power of life and death over the entire human race now possessed by a handful of madmen. There can be no effective struggle against the twin monsters of war and military dictatorship unless it is directed towards the establishment of a workers and farmers government which will organize this country and the world for a society based on human needs without profits, classes or exploitation. Only one party stands on the basis of such a program in the United States today. That is the Socialist Workers Party, whose banner I shall be proud to carry in the coming presidential election campaign. The party of Henry Wallace, despite its louder agitation for peace, disarmament and against internal repression, is not a genuine anti-war party because it is not an anti-capitalist party. The movement for peace pledged to disband at the outbreak of war is nothing but a mass swindle of the millions of people who have placed their confidence in this movement. The Communist Party, by supporting this Wallace swindle, is once again selling out the American workers to serve the momentary diplomatic interests of Stalin and his Kremlin gang. There is another so-called peace party, not as large as the Wallace party, but just as loud in its anti-war pretensions. I'm referring to the party of Norman Thomas. This party bears the name of the organization which once claimed Eugene V. Debs as its leader, but this is a cruel deception. Debs fought the First World War before official entry of the United States. He went to jail for continuing this struggle after that declaration of war by Congress. Norman Thomas and his cohorts betrayed the memory of Debs by jumping on the war bandwagon the day after the United States entered the war. The struggle for socialism does not cease in time of war. On the contrary, those who quit the struggle when war breaks out cease to be socialists. The Socialist Workers' Party took its position in the tradition of Debs in the Second World War. It continued its struggle against war and capitalism, even though 18 of its leaders suffered imprisonment for their fidelity to the working class and to the cause of socialism. The Socialist Workers' Party will continue in the same uncompromising struggle today on the brink of the Third World War. Working men and working women, in your great numbers and in your mass organizations, rest the power to stop this fatal plunge into war and dictatorship. You have the power to change everything. Organize this invincible power. Unite with the Socialist Workers' Party. Bind your ranks together with a socialist program and begin the march to a world where we and our children can live in peace as free human beings without poverty and without fear. And that is our show. Thanks for listening. We leave you with the American Indian Movement National Anthem sung by Vinny from AIM, Minneapolis to close out the May Day Rally in March, May 1st, outside the Roof Depot site in East Phillips. Solidarity. Bonjour, bonjour. Thank you. Um, it's an honor to be standing here with all of you. I can feel the love. I can feel the strength. I can feel the determination. I just came up here to sing a song for you all today. This is the uh, American Indian Movement National Anthem. And uh, I guess I'm the last one, so I'm going to close out with this. Oh. Oh.
This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.